Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we pray that as we read those um, sort of quite complicated sentences, um, that uh, you would make the meaning clear to us that your word to a church in Galatia, uh, those sort of 2,000 years ago, would make sense to us as a church now. Lord, that your will, your purposes would be clear to us, that we might walk in your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So on the back of the service sheet, you should find um, uh, something which I'm hoping is going to help. At the moment, that might look like a load of squiggles, but I'm hoping by the end that'll help us to understand what we've just read. And let me ask you, uh, what would you rather? First question, would you rather relate to God by promise or by law? Would you rather your relationship with God was based on his promises where he loves you whatever happens, whether you're having a good day or a bad day? Or would you prefer a relationship with God based on law where he only loves you if you pray enough and do enough good things? I don't think that's a particularly difficult question in theory to answer. But in practice, many Christians understand their discipleship basically is all about keeping the rules that God's given. Some do it because they want to pay God back by being good enough. Others do it because they rely on the law to keep them on the straight and narrow. Others can't quite believe this grace thing is as good as it sounds. And so we get into a cycle, easily, of measuring our relationship with God based on whether we kept the rules or not. And I'm assuming that some of us in here, in church this morning, do that. Because we're a normal church just like the church in Galatia was a normal church that Paul wrote to and was in danger of doing that, particularly in their case, because teachers had come and they told them they must do that. And so Paul writes to correct that error and to show just how wonderful, how radical and wonderful the gospel of Jesus Christ is that frees us to follow God's way, to be righteous, but not by law, but righteous by following Jesus, loving him. So three Ps, the power of promise, the purpose of the law, the privilege of being God's children. The power of promise is where we'll start, verses 15 through to 18. And the the power is that when God makes a promise, he always keeps it. 100% of the time you can rely on that. God's promises are more certain than anything in your experience. Anything. God's promises are more certain of happening than you waking up tomorrow morning. God's promises are more certain of having evening than the sun rising tomorrow morning because there will come a day which is the end when God remakes everything. God will keep all of his promises. And that's the power. It means that you and I can 100% put our confidence there. It means that we can build our lives on what God promises. Burn all our other bridges, put all our eggs in his basket. And the example here of someone who did just that is Abraham. Abraham left everything behind um, to go to a place that he'd never been to, he'd never heard of before God told him to go there. And, uh, well, it's all there, isn't it, in verses sort of 15 and 16. He went there because God promised, not even to him, but to his seed, to a future person, that he would receive all these blessings of all the nations being blessed through him and so on. And Abraham didn't really see very much of the promise fulfilled. Because ultimately it all pointed forward to Jesus, as is explained here. And, um, and yet, because God had made that promise, 
we read last week, verse 6, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. A right relationship with God. That's all God looks for. He looks for us to put our faith in his promises. It's a covenant he makes. Something solid, certain, that we receive through faith. And uh, the, the idea of all this sort of squiggles um, is, um, the idea of the squiggles is that uh, there's like a timeline, if you imagine. It's sort of there in verses um, uh, 16 and 17. Um, there's a timeline where God speaks to Abraham and he makes this promise to Abraham, but it's pointing all the way forward. That's the blue line on your sheets. And then, 430 years later, in this simplified timeline, another thing happens. He speaks to Moses and gives Moses the law. It doesn't change the promise. The promise is still there. The blue line is sweeping forward, but there's also now a brown line alongside it, the law, which has got a purpose which we'll come to, but doesn't replace the promise. Now everyone's looking at me. I hope the little sheet makes some sense now. The form of, it's alongside, and they're both pointing forward to something that's going to happen in the future from Abraham's perspective and Moses' perspective. And they're different because it all depends on promise. Imagine a modern fairy tale. Um, once upon a time, two children grew up together in West London. One, the beautiful daughter of a billionaire living on Kensington Palace Gardens. The other, the handsome son of a porter working in one of the hotels. They both went to St Mary Abbott's primary school and he managed to get a scholarship at the same school that she went to um, after that. And so they spent all of their childhood together. And when they were doing their A-levels, they resolved one day they would get married to each other and secretly they exchanged rings. But later, the boy was uh, taking a gap year in South America and uh, ooh, he had a hesitation in his mind. He started to understand a bit more about how the world works and there was a big difference socially between his background and her background. And he thought to himself, well, I, I can't marry her yet. I've got to prove myself worthy of her. And so um, he uh, applied by the internet and got a place at a university. And when he, as soon as he got back from his gap year, he, he went to university and, well, he just failed all the exa exams. Uh, he tried, but he just, he just couldn't, couldn't concentrate, couldn't learn. End of the first year, they sent him away. Said, no, I'm sorry, you can't carry on your course. So he thought, okay, well, I'm going to have to go and get a job in the city and make a fortune, and then, then, she'll, then I'll be worthy of her. And he, so he got a job, but he was hopeless at business. Hopeless at business. Uh, couldn't uh, make any money. I know, he thought, I'll go and join the army and prove myself uh, courageous. But he wasn't. He went off to Afghanistan, uh, got sent into the battlefield. He was a coward and got dishonourable discharge. And so he made his way back to West London, to his parents' flat, with his head down, until he bumped into the girl he loved on Kensington High Street. And said to her, well, I'm so sorry I failed. You can't still love me. I'm not worthy of you. 
And she replied, of course I still love you. I've always loved you and I will always love you. Remember that ring I gave you? I promise to marry you. As far as I'm concerned, a promise is a promise. You see, real love is not a reward for some kind of achievement. It's a promise. The marriage service uh, asked the question, do you take this woman, this man, to be your wife, your husband? What's the answer? I will. It's a promise. I will. I'm promising that I will do it. It's a commitment. And that's what love is. Love is never earned. It's simply it's given and received. And some people, like the boy in the imagined fairy tale, never quite understand that. They're always seeking to earn affection. They're always seeking to prove themselves. They feel they need, they need to be worthy. I need to be lovable. I need to work until I am. But that's the root to frustration and disappointment. Happiness comes when we realise we're loved, just as we are, warts and all. And that's how God relates to you and me, like the girl in the story. God makes a promise to love us in Christ, to take us as we are. He doesn't leave us as we are, but he takes us as we are and leads us on to know God better and better, to know him better and better, to receive his forgiveness, the freedom, the gift of the Holy Spirit to lead us forward, to make us more like Jesus. And with God, a promise is a promise. And the option is there for you, for me, for everyone to not only hear it, but to take hold of it, to believe it, to receive it. And you see, the direction of a promise is one way. It comes from God to the human race. So on the sheets again, the, the, there's, a, there's two arrows. There's a blue one and a brown one to correspond to the promise and the law. The way that God works by promise is he, he, it's a one way. He gives us wonderful things if we will receive them. But the law, by nature of being law, is two way, isn't it? It's if you keep it, then there will be blessing. But if you don't, there will, be, there will be the curse of the law. We read about it last week. The blessing is conditional depending on how good you are at laws keeping. And simple question for you and me to consider, which of those two arrows do you want to relate to God by? Which do you want to live in? The broad one of his promises or the narrow one of law? And maybe another follow-on question we'll come back to in a minute. Which one are you living in? The security of knowing his love or the who knows of the law and your performance? Peace is found in that wide arrow. There is no peace in the narrow one. So if that's the case, verse 19 has the question, what then was the purpose of the law? Well, that's our next section, verses 19 through to verse 25. Verse 19, it was added because of transgressions. Verse 24, the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. Look at the first of those, verse 19, it was added because of transgressions. It not only tells us the right way to go, it also tells us where we're wrong. It points it out to us. The law itself is good, but, verse 21, it can't make us righteous. And that's because of sin that already lives in us and kicks against what's right. So, an example I've used before, actually. 
is uh, of a friend of mine who um, was on a, in a railway carriage uh, in France, and it had never occurred to him in his life to spit in a railway carriage. Just sort of, he was brought up and, you know, brought up properly, and you don't do that sort of thing, do you? But he read on the side of the carriage door uh, a notice, Defense de Clasier, or something. I'm looking at Michelle, she's, she's letting me get away with that. Do not spit. And he said, for the rest of the journey, once he'd read it, he couldn't stop himself from salivating. Never occurred to him before, but the you must not do it law was there, and something in him kicked back against it, because that's what sin does in us. That's what the law does. It's added because it, it's added actually to reveal how sinful we are, that transgression goes as deep as that. To what end? Verse 24, ultimately to lead us to Christ. You see, the law points both ways. It points at our sin and says, look, that's a problem. But it points at the Saviour and says, look at him who has come for sinners. Verse 22, it declares the whole world's a prisoner of sin. It locks us up, verse 23, until faith should be revealed. Put in charge to lead us to Christ. See that? The, the purpose of the law, it, it does make us feel guilty when we break it. It does point out where we've gone wrong. But it does it to bring us, to lead us to the one who's come to deal with it all. And so the radical thing, the radical thing about Galatians, the radical thing for many people who've been brought up in a church-going family is that the law has now fulfilled its purpose. It's, it's done what it needed to do once it had led people to Christ. It had a sell-by date. So look with me, would you, at the middle of verse 19. It was added because of transgressions until the seed, that's Jesus, to whom the promise referred, had come. And there's another one of those untils in verse 23. We were held prisoners by the law, locked up by faith, locked up until faith should be revealed. Do you see? The promise came and pointed forward to Christ. The law came and pointed forward to Christ. They are both fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The one who is the seed of Abraham, the descendant of Abraham, to whom it all pointed to. So radically, verse 25, now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. Isn't that extraordinary as a statement and wonderful? It had a role, the law, a teacher, a guide, a supervisor. It was put in charge. But now Jesus has come. He's the one who leads us by his spirit. He's the one who we obey. It's a personal thing now, obedience, not just obeying laws. From the time of Christ onwards, righteousness has not been by law-keeping, but by Christ-loving, by Christ-obeying, by Christ-following. It's, it's more direct, it's more intimate, it's more wonderful. And that's where we're going to end, the privilege of being God's children. It talks about here a variety of privileges, doesn't it? Receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, having access to God in prayer, being able to know him as Father. It's all through Jesus. Verse 26, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, interestingly, in uh, Greek, just as it used to be in English, 
Uh, male pronouns like man or sons can mean just men, or it can mean men and women, everyone, humanity, just like it does here. The result is the newer version of this uh, translation, which we're going to get once I get around to organising it in a week or two. Um, uh, it's a sort of new, new international version, as it were. Most of the time it makes it specific. So in verse 15, where it says brothers, it, it will translate it as brothers and sisters. But here, in verse 26... It keeps sons, meaning all of us. But the reason it does is we are all sons, in inverted commas, because we are included with the son. And it keeps it because of that link with the eternal son of God, Jesus, born into history, the seed of Abraham, the one who all the promises were aiming towards. And yet, verse 29 when people believe in him, what does it say of people who are believers? You are the seed. You are the heirs, according to the promise. Because, verse 27, every believer is baptised into Christ, clothed with Christ. All the blessings of God are found in him, and we enter into him in relationship to God. When God sees you and me, if we've put our faith in Christ, he sees us clothed with Christ's goodness and righteousness. Not our own. And so he's able to fill us with his Holy Spirit, just as he fills his own Son. It means we enjoy now our relationship with God in prayer. We're led by the Spirit in our lives. That's what it is to be a Christian. It means Christian behaviour is no longer governed by, well, gosh, oh, hang on, let me think about what does the law say. I've got to follow the law. It's rather, let me remember what Jesus says. Let me remember, sure, what the Old Testament says is righteous because I want to be righteous, but let me follow Jesus. Let me love Jesus. Let me obey Jesus. As Paul says at the beginning in verse, chapter 2, verse 20, the life I live now... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, there's a difference. There's a powerful and wonderful difference. It's such a privilege that we live now, not under law, but following Jesus with the enabling and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So coming back to where we started, what would you rather? Or going back to those arrows... Um, the arrow of promise or the arrow of law. What, what do you, what do you recognise if you think about your life? A mixture, or one or the other of trying to relate to God by law, or realising that He's promised His goodness to you and receiving that. What motivates you as you seek to live life as you go through a sunny Tuesday or a wet Wednesday? Is it? I want to please Jesus. Lord Jesus, lead me. Lead me. Fill me with your spirit. Produce your fruit in me. Or is it, oh gosh, I'm not, I've got to, got to follow the law and oh, I mustn't do this and don't do that and gosh, I really want to. And Do you see the difference between the life that God wants of freedom to be righteous? Because freedom is righteousness. Righteousness is freedom. Or living by the law. The power of God's promise is that his love and purposes for you and me in Christ are unstoppable. 
the privilege of being his children is when we receive that and when we walk in it with the enabling of the Holy Spirit. So keep tuned in because the second half of the letter has got much more about that. Let's pray now. Father, we do want to receive all that you have for us in Christ. We praise you for what we've seen so far in this letter of Galatians, the way that all your purposes are fulfilled in him. We praise you for the privilege of being clothed with him, in him, with his righteousness, of being given your Holy Spirit to be in us, to make that link between us and you and to lead us forward in life. And we long that his leading would be what is true of every one of us, that we would be followers after the Holy Spirit as he leads us to be like Jesus in everyday life. Please, Lord, fill us. Please lead us and make us attentive. Make us obedient. Make us good followers, good listeners, good lovers in response to your love for us. Lead us and guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.